Welcome to Evangel Church, where we believe in seeing changed lives changing lives. Good morning, church. What a morning it's been. God is so good. My name is Pastor Chris, and we're glad that you're here, especially if you're a new guest of ours. I don't know about you, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful for what God's done in my life. I'm so grateful for what God's doing here, and I'm excited for what he has in store for us. Now, a couple uh, weeks ago, it had to be a little over a month ago, I was talking with someone who, uh, they've been here at our church for uh, several months now, and they asked me a question. They said, Pastor, why do you always sit right over there? And I said, well, I don't know. It stumped me. I think Because the pastor before me, that's where he always sat. I think that's the pastor's seat. And so he says that to me, and I started thinking. I went on a little journey, and, and my journey took me all the way back because when I first came here, Probably the first time I ever attended church was in 2006, and I sat over here. This was my spot right here, Dave. Like, you're, like, sitting in my spot. That's where I sat. And I sat here, and I was watching. I watched the Word, and I could see the screen. Man, I forgot what this screen looks like. I always sit over there. I don't even see this screen anymore. And this is where I'd be, and this is my perspective, right? And this is where I'd sit. And then, you know, I become young adults pastor. I come on staff, and then I become the interim senior pastor. And then they, they vote me in as senior pastor, and now it's like, now you got to sit over here. So I come over here. Hi, you're in my seat, but it's okay. You can stay right there. No one told you it's a pastor's seat. <laughs> this is where I sat. I don't even see that screen anymore. This is my perspective now. But then last week, I'm worshiping in first service, and we're getting ready for second, and I'm looking over there at that seat. And I was like, hey, let's go over here. We walked over to this seat, and I sat right here. I thought, whoa, whoa. I see both screens. I take it. I see every, everything looks a lot different. And I, and I thought about that. And I think about wherever you're sitting today, you're looking at it from a perspective. And I want to tell you, there's power sometimes in a new perspective. There's power sometimes in a new perspective. Some of you have been sitting up in the balcony so long. Some of you are sitting like right there. You don't even know we have screens because these chandeliers are blocking it. Come on. Let me get an amen from right up there. You know what I'm talking about. But there's something powerful that can happen when you change your perspective. There's something that's powerful that happens even when you, in a service, change your perspective. And, you know, one point in time, I knew some that used to sit up in the balcony you're in, and now you're pressing a little closer, and you're up here maybe sitting in, and it's, there's, there's a difference that happened. Maybe you're leaning in a little bit more. There's some of you, there's been a difference in your life that as you've heard the word of God and you've heard an invitation, and that was your perspective, wherever it was in the room, but you've now found your perspective right here. Maybe your face buried in the, in, in, in the fabric of this carpet, and you're crying before the Lord. There's something powerful that may have happened as you just changed your perspective. There's some of you, you've been stuck seeing things a certain way, and you haven't found any freedom in whatever it is you're walking through. Here's what I believe. God wants to bring a new perspective today. And as you change your perspective, you gain a new perspective with something powerful would happen to bring you freedom and to bring you to a new place. So if you have your Bible, would you open with me today to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to cover 13 chapters. God, help me. Lord, help me. I need your strength, Lord God, to get through this word. Lord, we just, we love you. We thank you. Lord, we're so grateful for what you've done. As Pastor Rick said, Lord, we're, we may not be where we want to be, Lord God, or where we feel like we need to be. We're so thankful we are not where we used to be, that you've rescued our lives, Lord God. You've lifted us up. you set us on solid ground. Uh, but Lord, every person here that I know is in a different place. 
And I pray today, Lord God, that there would be a new perspective, Lord God, that would settle into the heart of each one of us, Lord God, that our eyes would be open and the eyes of our hearts would see again, Lord God, would see something differently, Lord God. Refocus us, we pray, in your presence, Lord God. Help us to see clearer than we did before, Lord God. Holy Spirit, come like that fog that we heard about, Lord, today. And would you just envelop us in your presence and lead us into all truth. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Here's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk about this new perspective, and I'm going to call it a persevering perspective. The new perspective I believe God wants us to have, and we're going to see it evidenced in the life of Joseph this morning in God's Word. It's a persevering perspective. Let me help you define what that is as you're taking notes this morning. I want you to look here on the screen. You're going to see the definition for a persevering perspective. It is this. It's the ability to move past your problems because you have fixed your eyes on the promises of God. This is the kind of persevering perspective that God wants to bring us to. It's something that can set you free, move you past and beyond the problems that you've been facing, the places you've been stuck into something new as you fix your eyes on the promises of God. You see, early on in Joseph's life, God made a promise to him. We would see it as a dream, but it was a promise that God was making to him. This wasn't just a good idea. It's a God idea. Some of you, we need to learn the difference between our good ideas and our God ideas. We don't want to baptize some of our good ideas and call them God ideas because they just aren't. And other times, we don't want to devalue a God idea and just say, ah, maybe. That's, no, that might be something God has birthed in your heart. Don't give up on it. Uh, because sometimes you might get a crazy idea, just like Joseph did. Something just like, like uh, Abraham did. And somewhere in the midst of that crazy, it's God speaking. And he calls you to that radical faith we talked about last week to step into it. So don't always discredit it. Make sure that whenever God's birthing an idea, a promise in your heart, whatever it might be, as you're reading your word, as you're, as you're praying, and as you're studying scripture, and as you're seeking his face, don't discredit that. Don't just uh, brush that off, but lean in. Because God had spoken. He had given a promise to this young boy, Joseph, one that God was going to bring about, although it seemed crazy and foreign to anyone that heard it. In fact, as, as in 30, chapter 37, in the early part of this story, we see as, as Joseph goes around telling this dream, this promise, this thing that God had birthed in his heart, he tells his brothers, and they despise him because of it. You see, they already despise him because his father already favored him over his other brothers, even though he was younger. Then we see that he goes to his parents, tells them the dream, and his dad despises it. He says, no. Oh, you tell me we're going to bow down to you. See, the, the promise of vision, the, the dream God birthed in the heart of Joseph was one where everyone would be bowing down to him. Now, that sounds very self-centered. And some of you, if your kids came up to you and said, hey, I had a dream. Here's what it is. You say, go, go clean your room. Go, go, leave, leave me alone. Go do something. I'm, I'm not listening to this. And, and, and you could dismiss it. But God was birthing something here. That was so much bigger than Joseph, so much bigger than what anyone around him could ever comprehend. But God knows. Eye hasn't seen, ear has not heard. It hasn't entered in to the thoughts of the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. But the Holy Spirit, right, leads us and allows us to see, understand. And so there's a journey that happens between the promise and the payoff, between the first moment that this is birthed in the heart of Joseph to the time he actually sees it with his own eyes. And that's the process. And that process has a lot of steps to it. And there are some different places that Joseph's journey takes him. And here's what we're going to find out as we look in God's word is that that journey is a journey that all of us are walking all the time. That there are places along the path that Joseph was in 
that he found freedom from and came through that many of us have been in at one point or another. Some of us, many of us, I would venture to say all of us, I believe, are in one of these places today. But some of us were stuck in that place, and we can never get beyond it. And there's some things that happened to us in that place that we're carrying with us that we need freedom today to get beyond. And so we're going to explore these places together. And as we're doing that in God's word, would you just invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you for God's word to challenge you and convict you. Conviction isn't a bad thing. It's the prompting of God's spirit to say, hey, don't, don't, don't tune this out. Listen, lean in. This is where you're at. So listen to God's word and listen to the Holy Spirit as we're speaking today um, and sharing from God's word because I believe he's going to reveal to each one of us where we are and what he wants to do to bring us forward out of it. So we see the first place that Joseph finds himself, and he never anticipated it. It's the pit. Somebody say the pit. The pit. He finds himself in a pit. Now, that's a far place from the dream that he had. It's a far place from the vision God had birthed in his heart. But the first place he finds himself is in the pit. And what happens in chapter 37 is that as Joseph is being obedient to his father, he's bringing a lunch to his brothers who had gone far out tending to the fields. That as he's still a far way away in Genesis chapter 37, verse 18, here's what it says, that his brothers saw him from a distance. And before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Come on, look at that. Here comes the dreamer. I want you to know something today. There are some that are going to be threatened by what God's doing in your heart and in your life. I'm going to say there'll be some that, that, that you may think it's exciting what God is doing, the new thing he's doing in your heart or something he's birthed in you, but I want you to know there could be a resistance and there could be some that the very thing that you feel God's planted in your heart, it doesn't sit with them. They resist it. In fact, they want to undermine it and come against. And they said, here comes the dreamer. Now then, come and let us kill him. This wasn't just like, you know, brotherly bullying. This is like, let's kill him. Let's throw him in one of the pits. And then we're going to say that a wild beast devoured him. And then let's see what becomes of his dreams. So they plot against Joseph. And thankfully, by the time he arrives, the plan goes from them just killing him to them just locking him in this pit and not killing him and not actually taking his life. But the Bible says this. So when it came about in verse 23, that when Joseph reached his brothers, they stripped him of his tunic, his very colored tunic that was on him that his father had given him as a gift. They took him and they threw him into the pit. And now the pit was empty, and it was without any water in it. Could you imagine with me being in that kind of place if you're Joseph? A place where you're ripped out of your life, where you're stripped down, vulnerable, where you're thrown down into a pit by those that you thought loved you the most, those you thought you could count on the most, those you thought would always come through for you. To think about Joseph thinking, looking up to his big brothers, I thought you'd protect me if I was ever in trouble, not be the cause of my harm and downfall. In fact, he fell into a pit, and it probably felt like a knife was sticking out of his back, completely and utterly betrayed by his own family. Some of you know exactly what that feels like. Some of you knows what it feels like, that you thought the person that, that loved you the most and that you loved the most, that they turned their back on you. They betrayed you. They hurt you. They threw you into the pit. There's some of us here, we understand what that feels like. You're walking in a certain way and something happens. It could even be a circumstance that completely takes the wind out of your sails. You were moving in a direction. You thought everything was going according to plan. It's like a sucker punch to end all sucker punches. Hits you. And before long, before you could even catch your breath and figure out what just happened, you're in the bottom of a pit. 
And there you are. Is anybody in the pit today? That you're like stuck in a place. You don't know what happened, but it is so frustrating. It is so embittering. Because here's, here's how you know you might be in the pit. It's in the pit that some really dangerous things begin to grow. It's in the pit that bitterness begins to seep into your spirit and into your life. It's in the pit that offense starts to take root. It's in the pit where there's a pain. There's something that has ha- happened to you and hurts you. That's causing you to feel like you're in a very low place. The pit is the place of pain. And I know there are many of us here today, you might be in that place, you're in the pit. And the danger of being in the pit is that when you're down there, there's some things that could be growing that you must guard yourself against. And the number one thing is this, it's the bitterness. Here's what you need to know today, bitterness is poison. I'll say it again, bitterness is poison. Bitterness is poison, I'm telling you this. Some of us, man, we can't hear it because it's flowing through our veins right now. When you think about that person that hurt you, you think about what it's doing to you on the inside. It's eating away at you. I mean, come on, think about that. Some of you, you're carrying something with you that's in your past, that's a part of your story, it's a pain that someone else may have caused to you, and you literally use this kind of language, this kind of, it's eating away at me. You know why? Because it's killing you from the inside. That's why. The pit, what's happened in the pit, what caused you to fall into the pit, that very thing is creating a pit within you. It's literally eating away at you. It's hollowing you out. It's making you a shell of who you used to be. It's because that offense hasn't been healed, restored. Forgiveness hasn't flowed. And there's still unforgiveness and bitterness and offense that's taking root. This is for somebody today. And it's in the pit. It's in that place, in that place of pain that the pain hasn't healed quite right. You know, a couple of months ago, I, I, I had a, a porcelain bull fell out of a, off a shelf, and I tried to catch it. Uh, only I caught it after it shattered. And I, it caused a, a laceration right on my thumb, right on the joint where I bend my thumb. And, um, you know, Mandy was like, ah, it's, you know, it's deep enough. You should go to the hospital. You should get stitches. And I, being the man that I am, come on, guys, you're with me. No, it's fine. I'll just put some tape on it and keep going, you know. Like, and I'm, I, I did that, and it started to heal. So I'm like, oh, it must be okay. It's starting to heal. It was still tender to the touch. Don't you know, it's been months and months, and still if I touch it just the wrong way, it still hurts some. That's the thing about it. Whenever we don't heal right, whenever we kind of look like on the outside that it's healed, but it hasn't really been healed on the inside, whenever it hasn't been treated in the way that it needs to be treated, there's still going to be a pain when you touch it, right? There's still going to be a sensitivity that shows up there. Are there areas in your life right now that maybe you're out of the pit, but the pit isn't out of you, right? You're out of the pit, but you're kind of carrying it now along with you. And on the outside, everything looks great, but you picked up something in the pit that you haven't let go of. It hasn't been released. It hasn't been healed. It hasn't been fully dealt with. See, Joseph's whole life wasn't about, it wasn't ending in the pit. It wasn't over in the pit. And some of us, we think that everything's over in the pit. This too will pass. God can even work in the midst of that. He sees you right there, and he can lead you out of the pit. And God had a plan that was bigger than any of them could have imagined. It wasn't for him to die that day. But instead, a band of merchants come along. The Midianites come along. And what they did is the brothers, they said, well, instead of you know, killing him or doing anything, let's just sell him into slavery. Let's just sell him to these men, and they can just take him off wherever they're going. So they sell him for 20 silver shekels, two years' worth of wages in that time. They sell out their brother, and they let him be carried off. Somebody else's property. 
they turn from him. So imagine again, he's lifted out of the pit to be sucker punched again. Like, hey, you know, haha, we're taking you home now. No. It's, hey, lift you up and you're their property now. So again, imagine what, what that would take, what kind of toll that would take to be betrayed by someone you love so deeply. And he's carried off. Now you may feel, just as he has felt, that you reach a moment when like everyone you thought you could trust has kind of abandoned you. Has anyone else been in that place? You feel kind of everyone that can turn their back on me. I feel utterly alone. I don't know what's going on. I couldn't imagine being carried away from everyone that I know, everyone that I love with no means of communication back to them to just be carried away into a foreign place. But that's Joseph's story. But here's what I love is that as he finds himself on that journey, there's someone that hasn't forgotten about him. Genesis chapter 37, verse 36, it says, The Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, the Pharaoh's officer and the captain of the bodyguard. So the second place that Joseph finds himself in, he was in the pit and now he's in Potiphar's house. He's in a completely different place. He's in a foreign land. He doesn't know anybody. And he's in a completely different place. Nobody else knows where he is. Everyone else has turned their back on him. But here's what I see in God's word. And if you're in that place, this is a great reminder to you. Now his master, verse 3 of chapter 39, saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper. Verse 2 said that the Lord was with Joseph. Everyone else may have forgotten about him. He was a far distant memory to those who had betrayed him, to his neighbors, to his friends. He was a source of grief, deep grief for his father when his brothers came back with his multicolored tunic dipped in blood saying, we found this out in the fields. Perhaps an animal has devoured him. And with that lie caused pain to ripple through that family when they thought their son was lost and gone. God had not forgotten about him. I want you to know wherever you are today, God hasn't forgotten about you. God is with you and he's near to you. In, the, in Psalm 23, here's what it says. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. And he walks beside me everywhere I go. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you're with me. There's nowhere you can go that's too deep for the love of God, for the presence of Jesus, our good shepherd, for God to be right there with you. And the Lord was with Joseph. He was with him there in that moment in Potiphar's house. You know, I believe with everything in me, we don't have anything else to show what was going on with Joseph, but we'll see it by the end. The Lord was with him in that pit. He was there in the depths, ministering to him, lift, lifting him up as he came out, because as he comes out, he hasn't turned his back on God. He leans into the Lord continually. And the Lord caused everything he did to prosper. Now, here's what I love is it says that his master didn't notice how skilled Joseph was. It's not that he noticed how gifted he was and how talented he was, how much capacity he had. Here's what he noticed, that the Lord was with him. Now, what does it look like for us to recognize and be recognized not by our own gifts and accomplishments, but by the presence of God in our lives? What would it look like if the people around you stop remarking about how great you are? at what you do, and start saying, no, it's not just about this. There's something different about you. There's just something different about you. And then they recognize, you know what? It's like I had a praying grandma, and she prayed. It's like that. You have, like, gods in your life. 
God's there, like the presence of the Lord. Like it was recognizable in Joseph's life that the Lord was with him and that the Lord prospered the work of his hands. Oh, make that your prayer. God, wherever you have me today, may everyone around me recognize your presence in my life. Um, I hope you're with me this morning, church. Because I'm going to keep saying that over and over again before the end. Because it got to settle into our hearts that we must be recognized by God's presence in our lives. Now, Potiphar's house. Potiphar's house is a place where we find that as God blessed him, he received prosperity. He actually flourished in Potiphar's house. It says in verse 4 of chapter 39, Joseph found favor in the sight and became his personal servant. He made him overseer of his whole house. All that he owned was put in charge under Joseph's care. So it came about at a time that he made him overseer over his house and all that he owned, that the Lord blessed the Egyptians' home on the account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. Here's what he realized, this master. Everything this kid touches, God blesses. God has his hand on his life so special that I'm going to put everything under his care. And he puts everything under his care. And so he receives this prosperity. There's this prosperity that comes in Potiphar's house. And some of you may be there. You've been out of the pit, but you're, you're in Potiphar's house now. And you're experiencing prosperity. You're experiencing increase. You're experiencing some good things. But I'm going to warn you about Potiphar's house. Don't overstay your welcome because Potiphar's house, if the pit was a place of pain, Potiphar's house is the place of temptation. It's a house of temptation. It's a temptation that comes in so subtly. He's elevated. He's lifted up. He's in this elevated place. And in that place, there's a temptation to settle, to settle in right there. Because I, I would think that this house is a lot better than the pit he was in, right? It's a lot better than being dead. It's a lot better than everything else. Could, ima- could you imagine that he goes from being the youngest in his family over really nothing to being elevated. The guy that's, that's the bodyguard to Pharaoh, he's in his house, and he's number two in his house. He would probably think, it can't get any better than this. You may be in a place where you start to think, man, it can't get any better. This is sweet. This is great. I'm enjoying everything. And temptation's right there waiting. Because there's one that's waiting. It's his wife, the wife of his master. And before long, she notices. She takes notice of Joseph. But she's not looking at the Lord's blessing on his life. She's looking at him. And she wants him. And it's not just her looking at him. It's the enemy, I believe, looking squarely at him, saying it's time right here for you to settle down and throw some roots down in Potiphar's house. God has a bigger plan for you, but I want you stuck right here. I don't want you moving from here. And so he sends this person into his life. There's, there's this temptation that comes. says, come lie with me. Come be with me. Come, come, come just... Let's do this. Let, let's, let's take part in this. And he's thinking, no, I, I can't do that. But she wants him to come to bed with her. And before long, he, he, he pushes her away, pushes her away, but eventually she asks him again. And this is what he says to her. It says he refused, and he said to his master's wife, Behold, With me here, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house. He has put all that he owns under my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. So how then 
could I do this great evil and sin against who? Him? No, God. This is what's so beautiful about Joseph is that you could think in a moment that this is really just him refusing, saying, no, this guy's been so good to me, I'm not going to do that to him. I'm not going to sin against him. You see, there's something preserved in Joseph's heart that he realizes that his master is not just the man who he reports to in that house, but God is the God he serves. And he realized it would be for me to sin against God, not just him, but against God. I could not do this great evil against God because God's the one who put me here. God's the one who's elevated me, not your husband. I won't sin against the Lord. You see, his character, his godly character is intact. It's in the place of Potiphar's house, in the place of temptation. It's where your character is being tested. It's where your character is being proven or where it's faltering. He had a moment there. Man, Joseph, I believe, could have lived a long, prosperous life right there in Potiphar's house. But there's something that got him there that could not keep him there, and it was his character. His character could not allow him to stay in that place. But I want to tell you, if you get comfortable in Potiphar's house, you give in to some temptation. I don't know if it would have been for sure or not, but he could have maybe worked this plan out, and it could have been a long, drawn-out season of life. We don't know how long exactly he was in Potiphar's house. Um, Based upon some of the ways that we see the time, from the time he's 17 until he's 30 later on in the story, um, we have about 13 years between him being here and in the next place. They believe, some believe, he could have been in Potiphar's house up to 11 years of those 13 years. At least, uh, at the most that, if not a little bit less. But he's there in that place. He could have been there a lot longer. He could have just swept it under the rug. He could have just gave in to compromise and, and temptation. He could have gave in to this sexual sin that he was being invited into. And it could have just kept him growing roots right there, stuck. Feeling really good because he had a really elevated position. There's a danger that you see in every place you go. In every place that you find yourself, there's a danger. Watch out for the elevated positions. Watch out for the high places that you might get lifted to because it's there that you may be willing to settle. To settle in and say, man, look at me. I'm in an elevated place. But guess what? You've been there 11 years. You forgot. You're a slave. You're a slave in that elevated place. You were sold into that position, and you're a slave. You're not just a slave to him, but you're a slave to the sin you've been taking part in. You're a slave. You think you're lifted up and high, but you're nothing more than a slave. Because as soon as he refuses and his character is tested, what does she say? The slave boy. Oh, what happened to, I'm elevated. No, the slave boy, this guy that you brought in, because that's what he truly was in that house. Be careful. Be careful, because there's Potiphar's house waiting for somebody. You may be passing through. It's a place of temptation. God's going to build your character and release you through it. But you could be so tempted to just settle in, to throw roots down, and to settle for so much less than God's best for your life. This is the temptation in Potiphar's house to settle. He allows his character to be proven. He's strong. He holds to the Lord. He flees. There's a time where she literally tries to overtake him physically. She starts trying to strip off his clothing. And here's what the Bible says when it talks about sexual sin. It says, flee from sexual sin. Come on, somebody. Flee from it. Don't think, oh, no, I'm good enough. I can just stand it. Flee, run, run in the other direction. Avert your eyes, avert your gaze, run, get out of there. There's other parts where it says resist the enemy and he will flee from you. It doesn't say resist. (laughs) Sexual sin in particular, it doesn't say resist it and it's just going to flee. It says get out of Dodge, get out of there. Get out of there, run as fast as you can. That's for somebody today. It's for all men, come on. 
Get out. Flee. Run. I'm going to let that settle in for just a minute. He ran. Proved something about his character that he'd run. When no one's looking, it's when your character is being proven the most. No one's looking. It's just her and him. We can get away. She's willing to cover it up. Whatever it is, he runs. He flees. Leaves him vulnerable. Before long, she holds his tunic up and says, look, he tried to do this. He tried to overtake me. He tried to take me. He stood strong in his character. He didn't have to defend himself or anything. He just stood. That doesn't always end well for some. Sometimes you're going to do the right thing, and you're going to still feel like you've been made to be the wrong person because of it. Our world is fabricated in such a way that the right thing to do is often penalized, demonized, and marginalized, right? The right thing to do doesn't always mean it's a popular thing. It doesn't always mean that you're going to be praised because of it. Sometimes it may feel like you're being demoted because you've done the right thing in God's eyes. Don't worry. If you're being demoted because you're honoring God, you're in the best place ever for him to lift you up. Don't try to lift yourself up in that moment. Just let the Lord humble yourself, and the Lord will elevate. The Lord will do all the rest. This is what's happening. He does the right thing, and before long, his master finds out. She tries to fabricate a lie. I mean, Poor Joseph, he has two stories, two moments in his life where someone's holding one of his pieces of clothing, telling a lie about him. Here she is again holding his tunic saying, now he tried to do this and he tried to do that. So his master, he finds out about this and he brings him to the next place, sends him to the next place. His character could not keep him in Potiphar's house. Here's what I want you to know. If you're willing to take a stand for God, for righteousness and holiness in his word, I want, to know, I want you to know if you've been living in Potiphar's house, you won't be able to stay there. The pressure is going to push you out, push you to freedom the more you honor God with your life. So if you have roots in Potiphar's house today, you better get ready because as you look to the Lord, he's going to lead you out of that place. It may not be a place that you feel is very pleasant, but trust the process God's bringing you through. So here's what happens in verse 20. Joseph's master took him, put him into the jail because of this lie. And he was in the palace where the king's prisoners were confined. And there would be his jail. But the Lord, here it is, I love it. The Lord hasn't left him. The Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. Don't forget this. God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you are, you may feel you're in the dark hour of your soul. You may feel everyone has abandoned you. Jesus, the Lord, he's there. He's present with you in that furnace, in that fire ordeal, in that hopeless situation. And it's in that place you could find his favor, his blessing, his sustaining work and power in your life. But so many of us, we bury our heads in despair. We look away. We don't look to him at our hour when we need him the most. This was the hour that Joseph needed the Lord the most because all he's been sold so far is he's honored God. He obeyed his father and it landed him in a pit. He obeyed the Lord and it lands him in Potiphar's house. He's in Potiphar's house and obeys the Lord. It lands him in prison. This is getting kind of frustrating and I would use a word here. You ready? It's getting kind of hopeless. This is the point where you start to think this isn't getting any better. It's only getting worse. And there are going to be some of us here that we find ourselves in the prison. Not just the prison of, of addiction or the prison of the, the things that happen inside of Potiphar's house. Because we succumb to temptation too much. The shackles start to come. We go from even being a slave to a prisoner. We're held in bondage. But there's another time where we feel like we're in the prison. It's a place of great oppression. It's a place of hopelessness. 
You're in the prison. You feel there's no way out. There's no way to escape the thing and the circumstance that you're walking through in the season that you're facing. It's there that all your hope seems to dry up, where God may feel very far. You may feel very numb to him, to emotions, and to many other things. But don't forget that God's there. His favor and his blessing can meet you even in the jail, even in the prison, in the place of hopelessness and oppression. And so the chief jailer saw him. And what did the chief jailer see? He didn't just see him. He saw that the Lord's favor was in his life. In verse 22, he committed everything in Joseph's charge, all the prisoners who were in the jail. Everything that was done there, Joseph became responsible for. In the chief jailer, he didn't supervise anything under Joseph's charge. Why? Because the Lord was with him. Not because Joseph was so capable, but it was because the Lord was shining through Joseph's life, and it was recognizable again in the prison. doesn't matter where you are. If you continue to turn towards the Lord, if you continue to praise him, if you continue to put him first, watch how he shines through the darkest hour of your life. In everything he did, the Lord made it prosper. Now here, we can get stuck in the prison. I said the pit can get stuck in us. We can get stuck in Potiphar's house. We can get stuck in the prison because the prison is a place where we just throw in the towel. It's like we're just done. We're just done. I'm done fighting. I'm done struggling. I'm done just doing the right thing and everything seeming to go wrong. I'm done. And then you may get a little glimmer of hope, and Joseph gets a glimmer of hope here. He overhears a couple guys talking that have been thrown in from Pharaoh. One's the baker, the other one's the cupbearer to the king, and he hears them talking about this dream they had. And he hears it, and he says, what, what is this dream you're talking about? And they said, well, we don't understand what's happened to us. We're perplexed by our dream. He says, doesn't God interpret dreams? So it's not he's saying, hey, I can do this for you. God can do it. Let me hear what's going on. They tell him the dream. He says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be restored, but you're going to die. And not, not very long from now. And so they go on, and as they're leaving, he says, please, do me this one favor. Do me this one thing. When this happens and when God fulfills it, will you please not forget me? That's the one thing I ask. Let them know because I'm not supposed to be here. And so that happens. Joseph goes back. He's trusting them. They give him their word that they're going to not forget him, at least the guy who's going to live. The other guy, you can forget me. You only got a couple days left. Don't forget me. You with me? And so he gets to the house. He gets to that place. It happens just as it says it would. I'm sure that the news rings back even in. Oh, my, did you guys hear? The, the two guys that were here. The one guy, yeah, he, he, he's been restored to his position. The other one, he's dead. The, king, the Pharaoh killed him. So you think Joseph's like, oh, Lord, you're so faithful. You're so faithful. You have to lift me out of this pit, out of this prison. Potiphar, like, thank you. A day goes by. A month goes by. Two months go by. You know, the Bible says two years go by. What do you think that, what do you think sitting in Joseph's thoughts now? Not any day now. Come on, some of us, we can't wait 20 minutes on the promises of God, some of us, right? From the time we pray to when we want to see it, two years go by. Hopelessness. Hopelessness. But here's what you need to know. You pray one thing. I heard a pastor just say this recently. He said, you pray one thing, God does 10,000 things. You don't understand as we pray, as we seek God, what he's orchestrating behind the scenes. We pray one thing, he does 10,000 things to bring about that one thing. See, our timetables aren't always the same as God's. 
He prayed one thing. God was doing 10,000 things. And at the very right moment, Pharaoh has a dream. And as he has this dream, these two dreams that are tormenting him, one of his servants over here, the very guy that had been restored, the very guy that sat with Joseph, he said, oh, and he, I, could, I could hear the remorse in God's word as he's, oh, please forgive me, but this, I met this man when I was in prison, and, and he asked me not to forget him. I forgot him. You know, he, he's, he's, he, he can interpret dreams. He can do this, and none of your other magicians, no one else, none of your wise men, Pharaoh, but he can do it. And so the Bible says that the Pharaoh called for him at once in verse uh, 14 of chapter 41. Two years later, then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph. Imagine, this time the Bible shows us he's scruffy, he's, he's disheveled, he's, he's dirty, he's filthy. And they brought him out of what? The dungeon. Brought him out of the dungeon. And I'm sure it felt like a dungeon. I'm sure it felt utterly hopeless at a time like this. And when he shaved himself and changed his clothes and came to Pharaoh, Pharaoh said to him, I've had a dream and no one can interpret it. And I've heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Pastor Rick, come on up. Let's pause there. Don't even go to the next verse yet. I don't know if this is you or me. This is a much different conversation. Because there's something that can happen. When our hope is deferred for too long, when hopelessness sets in, the guy that, that he saw, who he knew was Joseph, the guy who interpreted a dream, two years later, that could have been a very different man that came up out of the dungeon. Could have been a man that was broken, a man that was bitter, a man that allowed the things that were attached to themselves in the pit to attach to him there in that dungeon, an even deeper pit. It's in that place that he could have been done. He could have said, well, it's about time. It's about time. It could have been that moment, that bitterness and the pain of what had happened to him. It drowned out the voice of God in his life. He could say, can you do it? And he might say, you know what? God can't do it. I'll give him my best try, but I've given up on God two years ago. I gave up on God a month, a year and a half ago when I didn't hear from anyone, when I trusted him, and I don't feel like he came through for me. I prayed for just one thing. He had no idea 10,000 things. He could have came out of that dungeon broken, hopeless, bitter, frustrated, angry. Anyone know what I'm talking about? He could have been a completely a shell of a person that he once was. But look at how he answers. Verse 16, Joseph then answered Pharaoh and he said this, it is not me who can do this, but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. He won't quit giving glory to God. He won't quit praising God. He won't quit pointing to God. In that moment, he doesn't say, you know what? Yes, I'm just the guy for you. He said, Pharaoh, God's going to give you the answer you want because I know that he's faithful. I know that he's able. I know that he's capable. I'm confident in him. His confidence hasn't failed him because he knows that he serves a God that doesn't fail. And God's hand was at work even in that moment. And so Pharaoh tells him everything. And he says, Pharaoh, these seven sheep that you're, or uh, these seven cows that you're seeing over here, and these seven sheaves and heads of wheat that you're seeing, of grain, they all are telling a story. It's all the same. These two visions, these two dreams. There's a famine that's coming to the land, but there's going to be seven years of plenty, and we got to store up, and then seven years of famine where everything's going to be completely, completely devoured. But we got to be ready. So here's what you should do. Now, this is a point in the story where I'd pause 
and I'd say, here's what's going to happen. And if you, we could talk about the terms of my release from prison, then I could tell you the plan on how to make this thing go away. I got an idea. I love my daughter now. There's this new, her, her new favorite line to Mandy and I. Hey, mom, I got an idea. I got an idea. Her idea is always something that benefits her. I got an idea. Can I have a, a lollipop? <laughs> that's not an idea, honey. That's just a, a wish. I can see. I have an idea. That's me. If I'm in the prison for two years, I have an idea. But it will cost you. Can you release me from this prison? I'm not supposed to be here. I, I need you to know first before I tell you the idea. I need you to just have some kind of assurance that you're going to come through for me on the other side of it. Does he do any of those things? Does scripture record any of that kind of negotiation, church? He gives them the whole plan. I'm thinking, that's foolish, man. They could just throw you back in the dungeon. But he knows that God gave it to him and it wasn't for him to hold on to. It wasn't for him to add terms to. It was he received it freely. He gave it freely to the Lord. He says, here it is. This is what you do. This is everything you need. He said, now go find somebody that's wise, that you could trust. Find one of your most trusted men and put them over this. Pharaoh says, someone just like you. I'm sure everyone, what? We just cleaned this guy up. You had to see him when we found him in the dungeon. And here's what Pharaoh says in verse 38. Just that short exchange. He said, can we find anyone like this man in whom is the Spirit of God? From the lowest places to the highest throne in the land, everyone recognizes the presence of God in Joseph's life. God's presence isn't determined by his position, by his place, or by his problem. God's presence shines through every time at every step. And so they restored him completely. He was elevated. Pharaoh said, you're going to be over my entire house. Everything you command will come about. I will be the only one greater than you in all the land of Egypt. And he put a signet ring on him. He clothed him with garments of fine linen, put a gold necklace around his neck and said, you're now my second in command. And to think, man, some think that it's in Potiphar's house is as good as it can get. Man, I'm second in command, but I'm a slave. But look, now he's free. And he's elevated to a place he could have never imagined. Don't think that God can't do it. Don't think that God can't exceed the greatest expectations and dreams you've ever imagined. Not because he wants to make you rich, but because he has a plan that's bigger than you could ever imagine for you to fulfill. See, the plan here wasn't to make Joseph prosper and to make him rich financially. It was about preserving many lives and saving many people. And God put the exact person he needed at the right place at the right time. He called him and activated that calling. At just the moment it was needed. Joseph was always listening. He was always receptive. He was responding in the way that God called him to. And it brought him from the, from the pit to Potiphar's house, to the prison, to the palace. Come on, somebody. The palace. To a place he could have never imagined he had only literally dreamed of. And he's there in the palace. And he's experiencing all this blessing, just as God said. They store it up. They then go through the famine years. And it's in the second year of that famine. He's 39 years old at this point in time. 22 years, 23 years later, who shows up at his door? His brothers. Sent from a land that has the famine. His father said, Jacob said, go, go to Egypt. It seemed like someone figured something out. They knew it was coming and they saved up grain. Go see if you could buy some. They come, they show up. 
They have no idea it's Joseph. Joseph knows exactly who they are. Go through this process where finally, after a series of visits and things that happened, he reveals himself to them. And there's a great restoration. The whole family's brought and saved. I mean, God worked out something, but I mean, they fulfilled the very vision. They were bowing down to him. They didn't even know it. They were doing what he dreamed 23 years earlier in that very moment. Bowing down, asking for this grain, asking for what they needed, had no idea they were actually walking in the fulfillment of God's promise and word over their lives. But then, Joseph's father dies. Joseph's father dies, and at this moment, the brothers realize it. It's payback time for the pit now. Dad's not here to protect us. This is where Joseph's character is truly going to shine through. This is where he has the opportunity to get complete revenge. We are helpless to do anything about it. And the brothers are terrified after his father dies because they think it's time for payback. And some of you know what this feels like because some of you, you were down in the pit and you grabbed a few stones down there and you said, the day is coming. The day is coming when the one who caused me this pain is going to get what's coming to them. You with me? You know what I'm talking about. Where I'm ready to repay that. I'm ready to do something about what has happened to me. And we carry that with us, waiting under the surface for our time to take revenge. And they said, now's the moment. But again, it's where Joseph's character shines through. Here's what he said to them in in chapter 50, verses 19 through 20. Joseph said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He said, God's plan was so much bigger than the pit you put me in. And don't be afraid. What you intended to harm me and even kill me, God has worked it for good. I want you to know, when you recognize God at every place you go along the way, you can truly say this as well. You intended to harm me. That intended to harm me. God accomplished good. It's now going to result in the saving of many lives, mine and yours included. God's done it. He'll continue to do it. He was in each of those places many years. But I want to tell you, and this is what I was saying at the beginning, that you have to be able to see beyond. You have to have a persevering perspective, one that moves you past your problems and even the place that you're in today towards the future promises of God. From the time he was 41 years old, that's when everything ends. That's where we kind of see uh, this, this moment happen, where he's reconciled and where his family's moved and his father's, you know, getting up in the years, and this is all taking place. And as Joseph, from the time he's 30 years old, you ready? Until he's 110 years old. You know where he is? He's in the palace. I've talked to you about all the other places, and I've given you warnings about them. But I want you to know the stickiest place that you could ever find yourself is the palace. The palace is the place of comfort. And if you overstay, it's a place of complacency. It's a place where you feel like you're flourishing, where you feel like you've arrived, where you feel like you have every need you could ever imagine met, and you don't realize that's not your final resting place. That's not the ultimate place God has designed for every single one of us. It's a place we could reach in this life, but we better not get too comfortable there because before long we get complacent, and we just want to stick around there. We want to sit in the palace, but there's something bigger that God has in store for us. And, and Joseph, like no one else could, He saw beyond it. He had a different perspective, one that pushed him past the palace to the future promise of God. And here's what he says in verses 24 and 25 of Genesis 50. He's getting to the end of his life. 
He says, soon I'm going to die, he told his brothers and his surrounding family. But God will surely come to help you, and he's going to lead you up out of the land of Egypt, and he's going to bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath. And he said this, when God comes back to help you and lead you back, You must take my bones with you. He said, this is not my final resting place. There is a promised land. So I'm talking about a promise. There's a promised land that God has for us. We better not forget about it getting comfortable in this palace. We better not get comfortable in this life because God has something so much bigger, so much greater, so much more amazing than we could ever imagine. He said, so if it happens, it's going to happen. After I die, pick up my bones and carry them there because I'm so sure of it. God has prepared that place for us. He was living in light of eternity. Are you living in light of eternity? Do you realize that every single day, no matter where you find yourself that God has something greater on the other side of even this life. Don't get too comfortable. Don't get too comfortable. Don't get complacent, but live in light of eternity. God, lead me there. Amen? Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? There's one thing that has power to lead us out of any of these circumstances and to lead us from where we are to where God wants us to be. And here's what it is. There's power in our ability to praise God wherever it is that we find ourselves. So we're going to have one closing song. Parents, please don't feel like you have to rush. We got your kids for a couple more minutes. This is a moment where I believe God's going to bring breakthrough to us no matter where we might find ourselves. So if you're in one of those places, if you're in the pit, if you're in Potiphar's house, the place of temptation, if you're in a prison of hopelessness today, or even if you're in the palace, would you allow God to meet you in that place right now as we worship the Lord together? And would this place be shaken? Would we be shaken? And would God then begin to lift us up and move us out? As we do that, here's what I'm going to invite you to do for this final closing song. I'm going to invite us to be willing to just change our perspective for a moment. I told you for me, I changed. I moved from here to there, and it makes a difference. I moved from here to there, it makes a difference. Some of you, moving from where you're seated to this altar, it will make all the difference in the world because God's ready for you to take a step forward out of where you are into where he has for you. So if you're in any of those places for this final closing song, can we do this together? Can we just change our perspective, changing our position, and come into these altars and worship the Lord together with everything we have in us? Amen, church? All right, come on, let's do that. Let's right now, let's all come down to these altars together. Let's press in. Let's make this our act of worship unto the Lord, our act of response unto the Lord. And as you're coming, I'm going to tell you a story about a young man. It's a young man who I talked to you about years ago, but his story just showed up again in, in, on my news feed yesterday. His name is Willie. Willie was abducted back in 2014. And the amazing thing is I told Willie's story the last time I talked to you about Joseph. And just yesterday, Willie made the news again because he went to a sleepover and his parents didn't know. They thought he got abducted again. So he made the headlines for about an hour and then they said, everything's okay. The kid that was kidnapped before is fine. And I said, what is that story? I look, this young boy, March 31st, 2014, playing in his front yard. In just a moment, someone pulls up to his front yard grabs him, pulls him into the car, and drives away. It's a real-life kidnapping right in front of his family in his home. And as he's driving, this man's driving, who knows what he has in store for him, who knows what's going to happen, but he's bringing him to another place, a place he could have never imagined, a place of hopelessness. I couldn't imagine at nine years old what that would feel like. And as this man's driving, he hears something coming from the backseat of that car from this young nine-year-old boy. It wasn't 
whimpering. It wasn't pleading. It wasn't crying. It wasn't screaming. There's just a, a song that this boy's starting to sing. He's singing a song, and the guy couldn't understand it. He's making out the words. Here's the song. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship is to our God. Every praise, every praise. This young boy, he learned this Hezekiah Walker song, and he just kept singing it and singing it and singing it. So the guy's driving around. He's screaming at him. He's putting his arm back. Quit it. Quit singing. Quit doing that. God, my Savior. God, my Redeemer. God will do it. Every praise, every praise. Three hours, this guy's driving around frantically. Finally, he pulls up back in front of this kid's house, pushes him out of the car. It says, I'm out of here, and drives away. This kid praised his way to freedom. He praised his way out of that place into something, into freedom, into redemption, and everything. I believe the God of the universe would even work the news because he just needed to remind us of that today. Then he put in this young boy even in the news again to remind us today. He was in the news yesterday to remind us today that the answer to get out of that place is in the place of praise. Praise God through whatever it is that you're working through. And so as one chorus, as one voice, let's lift up our voices to the Lord. Let's praise him together and let's allow that to shape us, shake us, and release us into what God has for us together. So let's praise God together. Pastor Rick, would you lead us? Would you lift your hands all around this room right now? And would you be willing, wherever you find yourself, to praise God? You may not have had reason to praise him in the past. You may have felt like there was no reason to lift him up. Praise him from the depths of your heart and watch God begin to move in your life in your circumstance, even in your own heart. Let's praise Him together. We hope you have been challenged and blessed by this message. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com.